0: Welcome to this edition of the Thoracic Surgery Resident Association's podcast. The opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for teaching purposes only and should not be applied directly to patient care.
1: Hello, my name is David Blitzer. I'm a third year integrated cardiothoracic surgery resident at Columbia University. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Dr. Robert Sade about the timely topic of medical ethics in a pandemic. He is professor of surgery at the Medical University of South Carolina, where he is also the director of the Institute of Human Values in Healthcare and director of the Clinical Research Ethics Program. Dr. Sade, thank you so much for your time.
0: Oh, it's a pleasure to be here with you, David. Um, As far as my background is concerned, uh, more to the point for current purposes. Is that I'm also the director of the, or rather chair of the Cardiothoracic Ethics Forum, uh, which is the group that's uh, part of both the AATS and the STS that provides ethics education for all of cardiothoracic surgery. And that is the group that recently uh, uh, submitted and now is ready for publication an article about. Uh, pandemics and the ethics related to it for cardiothoracic surgeons.
1: Right, and that, so that's uh, currently available on CTSnet and forthcoming in for publication. Uh, I was wondering, could you give us some insight onto what prompted the group to write that piece specifically and some of the major highlights from that paper?
0: We have never faced a pandemic quite like this. We've had pandemics, of course, but none that came on as quickly with as high a, a spike of, uh, of cases needing care in an intensive care unit. Uh, and uh, because of the unusual aspects of this pandemic, uh, there has been some confusion about how to handle all of the issues that come up uh, that really we've never seen before. Uh, uh, also, um, among the major highlights from that paper is that Uh, We believe that cardiothoracic surgeons are especially well-suited to take part in the handling of the pandemic uh, because of special characteristics of cardiothoracic surgeons. Also, uh, the paper deals with how to to deal with uh, limited resources, uh, which doesn't apply only to PPEs. Uh, and, uh, and other equipment, but also to life support equipment uh, that becomes really problematic when there are too many people and too few ventilators and ECMO devices.
1: Right, it's certainly something we've been uh, reading about, at least from the European experience, in terms of having to ration care. Um, how did you approach the topic in your paper and how did the group come to a conclusion on what strategy to recommend?
0: Uh, well, we concluded what strategy to recommend based on, uh, on uh, several published guidelines from the CDC, from the NIH, uh, from other places, uh, but we um, groomed them especially for cardiothoracic surgery. Uh, some of the main points uh, that we make uh, regarding uh, rationing of care uh, is that for triage purposes, there should be triage teams that are composed of respected decision makers uh, who are not caring for patients, and that's a fairly critical point because we believe that, uh, that, patient, that uh, uh, providers who are caring for patients at the bedside should not be making decisions to remove their patients from ventilators to provide those ventilators or ECMO uh, to someone with greater need. That needs to be done by people who are not involved with patient care so they can be objective about it and follow clear guidelines.
1: Right. And so another major discussion point uh, has been the limited availability of personal protective equipment. I was wondering if you had any thoughts on uh, where the duty to treat principle might be superseded by the need for healthcare workers to protect themselves or framed a little bit differently. Is there ever a circumstances where Healthcare workers can refuse to provide care if there's uh, a, quite a bit of risk for them.
0: Well, of course, healthcare providers can refuse to care for patients at any time, but that generally is not an ethical thing to do. Um, during a pandemic, especially one with the characteristics of this one, uh, there is an obligation for uh, for physicians to remain in the general arena of patient care. Uh, even when their own health or lives are at stake. Uh, however, there, is, there may come a time when, uh, when healthcare workers, especially physicians, should refuse to continue to care for patients when the threat becomes very large uh, compared with the benefits to be gained by their continuing to care, Uh, when enough protective equipment is not available to ensure that they will be able to continue providing care. In other words, when the risk becomes so great that it's likely that the uh, physician will not be able, will, will contract the disease and not be able to continue caring for patients at that point, it would not be unreasonable and it would not be unethical for a physician to decline to continue to care for patients.
1: I know also that there was some discussion about how to navigate the situation when resources are capped and physicians must decide on whether to terminate a care, such as mechanical ventilation or ECMO, for one patient in favor of another who might have a probability of a better outcome. How would you recommend someone navigate that situation?
0: The report that we're about to publish um, and have actually already published on CTSnet uh, describes uh, one critically important thing about discontinuing life support. And that is that that there have to be very clear guidelines. Uh, So there's very little guesswork involved uh, and uh, the uh, decision makers, that is those uh, who are on the triage team, not clinical bedside uh, physicians, um, should make the decisions uh, the patients who are uh, the uh, physicians who are caring for the patient at the bedside should not be involved with decisions to terminate care. Uh, their role is to continue to be advocates for their patients, uh, and uh, and not making decisions about discontinuing life support when they ordinarily would not discontinue life support because the patient still has uh, some hope of recovery, uh, but someone else needs the ventilator or the ECMO more than this patient does. Uh, So the important issues are that there should be clear guidelines, and the people who are making the decisions to discontinue life support should not be the bedside clinicians. Rather, should be a specially appointed triage team.
1: And since our audience is largely trainees, is there any particular advice or guidance you would give to cardiothoracic surgery residents on the ethics of this pandemic or pandemics in general?
0: Yeah, uh, I think the trainees are physicians. Uh, they uh, they have the same obligations as uh, as all other physicians do. Uh, many of which we've just been discussing. Um, the there is a difference, of course, and that is that. Uh, trainees are in the special position of being in an educational situation as well as being uh, uh, clinical uh, caregivers. So uh, their environment tends to be more structured. Uh, They tend to uh, be assigned things uh, more than making independent decisions. But those are the same limitations as they have uh, under ordinary conditions during training and really don't change. Uh, very much during a pandemic. Uh, so the bottom line is that we're all physicians, including trainees, and we're all under the same uh, ethical constraints uh, as one another.
1: Dr. Said, thank you again for taking the time to speak with me today on such an important topic. Uh, do you have any last thoughts you'd like to share with the audience? Uh,
0: yes, I do, David. Uh, I'd like to end on a uh, on an upbeat note. Uh, and, and that is related to a catastrophic event that occurred in Charleston where I work and have worked for many, uh, many decades. Uh, and that was the um, the Hurricane Hugo that came through Charleston suddenly and unpredicted uh, in 1989 wreaking destruction everywhere. Many homes were lost. Uh, 50% of the trees in and around Charleston were knocked down Uh, And although the hurricane itself only lasted for a few hours, the after effects continued uh, for weeks afterwards. We were without electricity. We were without water. uh, uh, We were without a lot of things. And what happened because of that catastrophe was that our community came together in ways that we had never experienced before, supporting each other, uh, doing things for each other. Right now, of course, uh, the opposite situation is occurring. That is, we're all isolated from one another. But once this is over, I'm confident that the healthcare community, as well as the community at large, uh, will feel a, a, a togetherness, a mutual supported support uh, that that we've not felt before. And I think that overall, that will be a very positive thing for both the healthcare industry, healthcare workers, and hospitals, uh, as well as our community in general. Uh, We will have come through something horrific, uh, but we will have survived, uh, and we will be stronger for it.
1: That's excellent. Thank you again, Dr. Sade.
0: Thank you.